0: Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everyone. We are live from New York City as Good Morning New York gets underway
1: on this Tuesday morning at this hour. Last September, five of New York's top brokers met to brainstorm a new idea. Collectively, the agents and their teams had closed more than $1 billion in sales in 2016, but despite their individual successes, they felt the industry was lacking consistent standards and proper transparency. They formed a group, NYRAC, or better known as New York Residential Agent Continuum. To join this group, only top-producing brokers will be eligible to join. Prospective members must be endorsed by three active members and have at least five years of experience in residential sales in the city, Additionally, they must have at least $10 million in annual sales volume over the previous five years. Co-chairs Heather McDonald and Kathy Taub are here with me this morning, and we will discuss all of it. Also at this hour, the first week of the year was a slow one for the Brooklyn luxury market. Only three contracts have been signed so far in 2019, but the average contract price is up from last week's holiday slump. So let's get, it. Let's get at it. But first, I'd like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world I'm Vince Rocco, and you are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate, here live in New York. In the news this morning, after 12 years of ownership, Maggie Gillenall and uh, Peter Sar- uh, Sarsgaard are selling their Park Slope brownstone. According to the Wall Street Journal, the couple moved to the neighborhood in search of more space and peace and quiet, and they wanted to be able to walk their children to school. Now that their daughters are older, they have decided to move on and are listing the four-story brownstone for $4.599 million, The couple purchased the property back in uh, 2006 for $1.9 million. Ari, are you taking that? It's right across the street from me. There you go. go. J-Lo and A-Rod are selling the 432 Park Avenue condo that they only just bought. Isn't that something? Jennifer Lopez and Alex Rodriguez have come a long way from the Bronx, and now the happy couple is looking to take Manhattan yet again. It turns out the 4,000-square-foot apartment they bought less than a year ago at 432 Park is a tad too small, so they hoisted The combined unit back on the market, the $17.5 million list price, is exactly what the former Major League Baseball All-Star and Entertainment Dynamo paid for the three-bedroom, four-and-a-half-bathroom unit back in February of 2018. So they're not looking to make any money on the deal. Isn't that something? According to the New York Post, which broke the story, this latest Big Apple address twist is due to uh, overcrowding at the J-Rod house since both adults have two children from their previous marriage, the 432 Park Avenue apartment does not um, have enough spread for the combined clad when they are all in town together. The couple is said to be looking for something much larger downtown. I guess I I could probably understand that. That's something else, right? 4,000 square feet, not big enough. How many times are they all in the same place at the same time? The most popular listing last month was a $545,000 one-bedroom co-op in Brooklyn Heights located on Willow Street, one of the Heights' loveliest blocks. The apartment goes heavy on charm. The large living room features a, a window seat and a stained glass, uh, lots of stained glass windows with monthly maintenance fees of $655. The whole package comes at a decent price. No surprise, then, that the, contra- the apartment entered contract in just 14 days. The most expensive listing to hit the market in December tells the classic New York City real estate story of what is old becoming new again, or at least what was old for the luxury condo market got new the 95th floor penthouse at 432 Park Avenue hit the market back in 2016 for $82 million. In the two years since, most of the uh, affordable units in the building, well, affordable meaning those <laughs> under good. $50 million, so good. Uh, sold while Penthouse 9-5 <laughs> lingered. Last month, however, the developers at 432 split the units into Penthouse 95A and Penthouse 95B. The latter listed for forty point seven five million dollars, while the former listed for forty one point two five million, eking out the title of the most expensive listing of the month. The two units are, are are more or less the same, with three bedrooms, three bathrooms, with stunning views and all the luxury amenities you'd expect of an eight figure listing. The extra five hundred thousand dollars by Central Park views instead of downtown views. But take note: only uh, only a few days after it was listed, Penthouse ninety five B. Sold for $30,191,000 or nearly $10 million below its new asking price. That's a lot. So if you're eyeing another premium unit at $432, now might be a good time to buy the other one and it's on the market and it's listed and you can get a good deal. Well, you know, what could you say? Anyway, I want to talk about uh, just for a second. There's a new talk radio, a new podcast called Rediscovering New York with my good friend Jeff Goodman. It's on the talkradio.nyc network. It premiered last week at 7 p.m. It it plays on Tuesday evenings, and it's all about New York neighborhoods, not New York real estate per se, but all about uh, New York neighborhoods. It's a good listen. If you're interested or fascinated in how we break up our neighborhoods here in New York, that's a good one. Talkradio.nyc, Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. All right. As I said uh, earlier, we're going to talk about a new group that's making lots of headway. Uh, Heather McDonough Domi and Kathy Taub are here. They write. How a pioneering group of real estate agents will change New York's real estate market. They recognize the existence of a significant discount, a disconnect rather in our industry that has somehow become acceptable. While there are billions of dollars at stake in what is one of New York's most important industries, the brokerage side of the real estate business is at times antiquated and inefficient and rife with unethical behavior. We as agents intend to change this with the information of an organization, uh, with the formation rather, of an organization of our own. An organization that is only open to those who are dedicated to working together in an ethical manner. An organization that focuses on raising uh, our standards and practices, elevating our industry, and in doing so, improving the negative perceptions and realities of our profession. Good morning, co-chairs. Nice to see you this morning.
2: Good morning, Vince.
1: So, you know, there's a whole lot to talk about <clears throat> about this. I am was very excited about it from when I first saw it and when I first read about it. I think it's needed. I think it's wonderful. But, you know, let's just get the listening audience out there familiar with what NYRAC is and, and about the founding of this this group. And so why now? What was the impetus, other than what I just read at the at the intro, what was really the impetus for you guys and your your members, uh, initial members, to kind of come up with this? right now at this time.
3: Right, so this has actually been in the works for um, over a year and a half. A group of five or six of us got together um, a year and a half ago and uh, talked about getting a group together, talking about shifting markets, trends, how we can share information, help one another, um, improve the conversation. And that conversation led into a whole lot of other things that I think we didn't all expect. And um, from that, you know, I mean, it, it all starts with an idea, right? So from that, we we started talking about things in the market that uh, troubled us and uh, the the bad behavior that I think everybody's just kind of tired of. Um, there's no reason at this point we shouldn't be transacting in a cordial way um, and, and with respect to our colleagues. And so, you know, it just started to evolve and our group of five grew to uh, our 21 founding board members. And when you put all of them into a room and you start talking about the market and, and things that everybody wants to improve, it just, we have such a passionate group. And we identified a list of things that we want to tackle that are important to us and in the market. And, um, and then we've expanded from there. And, and as you know, we launched, uh, we made the announcement in October. Um, and so it's really been two, two and a half months.
1: All right. So our market, as you guys say, has a few fundamental flaws that make navigating a challenge a challenge. In a city that attracts the best of the best in nearly all industries, it's time for our industry to evolve and meet the, the demands of the consumer. What are those demands? What are the consumers looking for out there today that they don't have already?
2: Consumers are looking for honesty, transparency, uh, uh, they are also looking for uh, a common metric for measurement of square footage. One of the most important questions or one of the most asked questions that we hear when a buyer walks into a property is, what's the square footage? And that's because so many people in New York City are financially oriented or in the finance industry or need some parameter by which they can have a common metric to evaluate uh, the value of a property. And so we have really been avoiding that issue for many years for various reasons, but we feel it's imperative now, particularly because of uh, the advent of so much new development and condominiums and the new condominiums in New York City are all, uh, the square footage is disclosed in offering plans, and it's very easy to compare uh, 4,000 square feet at 432 Park on the 39th floor with 4,000 square feet on the 38th floor and uh, compare square footage from one building to the other. but we don't have a common way to or an acceptable way to measure square footage, and uh, we want that's a, a top priority for us.
1: But let's break that down a little bit because in the 17 years that I'm in this business, we've gone back and forth and back and forth on that one particular issue. And as you just stated, Kathy, that is absolutely correct. People walk in, especially if they're financially oriented uh, and with their spreadsheets, and they need to know – how can I calculate the value of this apartment without knowing how big it is? Whatever price per square foot in this town is 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 the bible. Okay, that's it, it. shouldn't be, but but unfortunately, it is. Can you take us back a little bit and and help us help the listeners understand why we don't easily talk about square footage in an apartment? Why 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 have we come to the point where it's sort of blocked in our
2: sure. conversation? Sure. I mean, uh, what happened was that most of the inventory in New York City and still is had been cooperatives. And cooperatives were established well before square square footage was uh, a metric that anyone cared about. And uh, so, with the advent of new new development and condominiums, uh, it was required by law for square footage to be measured and disclosed in those offering plans.
1: By the attorney general, correct?
2: Right. And uh, so, w- but people were buying both condominiums and cooperatives and looking at uh, both types of of inventory and comparing square footage from a condominium to a co-op, which was never disclosed. And there also happened to be uh, a lawsuit uh, many years ago where uh, someone uh, uh, claimed, a listing agent had claimed that a Park Avenue apartment was 3,000 square feet and turned out that the buyer was looking for some way to renege on the contract and said, well, it's only 2,200, rescinded the contract, to his great chagrin, I'm sure, since the market had only, uh, increased dramatically since then, uh, and uh, we were all told by our managers not to disclose square footage because of that lawsuit. That was quite right. some time ago.
1: It was a very long time ago, and and unfortunately, you know, especially in co-ops, as you as you indicate, you know, people come in, and then one of the first questions they ask after they walk back from looking out the window is, "How big is this place? How what is the square footage?" And when you say, "Listen, you know, I don't really know. I can I can you know kind of guesstimate and tell you it's about this or about that size." No, that doesn't really fly. So I would love. I personally would love, and because I I do a lot of condo representation, I sell a lot of new development condominiums, and I know, there as you stated also, it's in the offering plan. Everybody knows the size, whether it's accurate or not, or how each individual building measures that square footage. At least it's stated, and people can go from there and put a value on it if that's what they're looking for, and uh, it makes it very easy. Um, you know, uh, we. We have issues with more than just that. We're going to talk on the other side of the break about why we don't have a consolidated MLS system uh, that most other cities outside of New York have. Very important. We have lots of you know disparate systems and disjointed systems that we can all go to, but nothing is, is one and nothing works the way a, a unified MLS system does. So we're going to go to break. We're going to talk about that uh, on the other side. You are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away.
4: It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their product. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees.
0: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show.
1: All right, everybody. We are back, and we are talking to uh, Heather McDonough Domi and Kathy Taub from NYRAC. On the other, just before we went to break, we were talking about um, the need for a better way to as I call size apartments. and we've had this whole square footage issue for years. Hopefully with this new movement, this new organization, we'll get a better understanding as to how we can measure apartments and make it all legitimate. You know, one of the things uh, I wanted to get into is you know the the disparate systems that we all use, one of the biggest challenges in the uh, absence of a multiple listing service or MLS that exists in the suburbs or anywhere outside of New York City. Instead of having a centralized MLS, each brokerage company has its own proprietary listing system. Tell us what's wrong with that from your perspective or what you're trying to change about that to help better the consumer search out there and the broker internal searches all after the same thing. What is the importance of having a consolidated database?
3: Certainly. So, you know, this is multi prong. So, first of all, if you speak with a broker and you ask them about how they search, where they search, it's never in one place. It's multiple websites. It's their company website. Sometimes, quite often, uh, brokers don't even want to use their company uh, website or search engine, and so they will use outside sources. Um, So, you know, we just need one solid place in which all the information is accurate. And what happens, as you said, it's very disjointed, right? So, if everybody has their own system, that means that each of these companies has to stay on top of their technology, they have to be able to make sure their merge fields are sending the information correctly to the RLS, and then the RLS is sending it back out. So there's just too many areas for uh, inaccuracies to happen. And then when you have that, the consumer is also getting a ton of inaccurate information. So how often is a consumer waste their time where they show up to a listing that says it has outdoor space, but it doesn't? So Oh
1: my God, yes, hmm. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about that RLS. So the RLS to me is like a little a little hub, right? So all the, the companies feed their listings to this RLS, which is a Rebney uh, Real Estate Board of New York service. And then that RLS does what? It shoots it out to all the uh, these other disparate systems?
3: Correct. So it disseminates out to all of the brokerages, but then also to all the syndicates and aggregators. So they are the ones that are syndicating it out, Right. And and listen, <laughs>
5: their
3: their their data is only as good as the person who inputs it. Absolutely, as well. So I mean, that's one of the things that we definitely want to promote is the importance of uh, entering your listings as thoroughly and accurately as possible.
1: Well, that's one of the issues that I've always had as an agent. You know, you just use an example before. You know, this particular apartment looks like it works well for my client. It's got outdoor space. It's wonderful. And then you go to find out. Well, on the floor plan, I don't see an I don't see an outdoor space, or sometimes the floor plan's not up yet. So you make an appointment. You go take your client, and all. And this has happened to me where they've come to me in in uh, new development buildings and say, "Well, your site says that this apartment has outdoor space." I say, "Well, it doesn't." Uh, Sorry about that, and that's wrong. Okay, because people are sloppy and people don't pay attention. They put a listing in, or they give it to a listings department to put a listing in, and they don't cross-reference and they don't look to see what is actually going out there to the masses. I don't even with an MLS. I don't understand how we can maybe correct the human errors because that really is what feeds all of these systems, and that's what makes all of our life, or should make all of our lives that that much easier. Correct.
3: Yes, correct. And so one of the things that's happening right now is that RevNe is rolling out a new compliance tool. And so we are waiting on the data points in which they will be enforcing compliance to find out, you know, how much this is going to impact and create change, positive change in our listing systems. So that is one of the things that we're waiting on. Um, this is supposed to, I think, roll out. It's still waiting. I think it's going to roll out this week. Um, so, uh, you know, hopefully that will start to change. Um, but you know, listen, there are a few other things that it's just time that we get it right. So prop tech, right? That's a huge buzzword right now.
6: Prop tech. Prop
3: tech. Prop tech. So property technology. Okay. So all the the VC firms, they are all putting their money into what they call prop tech. And so if we don't get it right, prop tech is going to. And I think it's really important that we as a market. Uh, do what we can to protect our information, our data, and make sure that we are able to provide the consumer a quality product. Well, just to
2: add on to that as well, is that we are really aware of all of the market disruptors in uh, throughout the country but particularly in our in our segment here in New York City and so we we feel particularly in New York City that agents add a benefit that is very unique to our market because we have cooperatives which are a very unique type of, of ownership and uh, involve uh, complications that a person who's not represented by a capable agent uh, a, a buyer can really have you know it could be a hazardous stretch uh, so we we feel that it's important for us also to educate consumers and to uh, to let them know why they really do need the assistance of of uh, capable agents.
1: Well, that's why I keep going back to the consumer because it's it's not only about the agent population out there who feeds information to our consumers, our clients, our sellers, whatever, our uh, buyers, but it's for them as well. Another challenge uh, you face in the market relates to consistency and methodology or lack thereof. Okay, and we've touched on a little bit of that so far, but... For valuing properties and then that's very important in a city where so many of our clients make their living working off of financial models, analyzing trends and valuing uh, entities, there is a demand for a consistent and reliable standard uh, in how we value real estate beyond just the, the square footage, right so so you know how else be, besides the square footage can we show in our new databases hopefully? That you know these units are of value. That there's more than just looking. And I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe we can't. That there's more than just looking at a square footage. Views make a difference. You know, outdoor space make a difference. Height in building makes a difference. All of the amenities. All of the amenities. Potentially. How the building is run. So how do you? How do we? How Exclusive. do we Incorporate this, all of that. You no.
2: Know, this goes back as well to the proper uh, reporting or the proper disclosure of condition. Um, and um, all the various aspects of, an, of a of a property, and because we feel that our data is not clean, mm-hmm. sometimes it's very difficult to have a, a, a comparison. But one of uh, one of the other aspects that we're we're exploring, and we really are promoting collegiality uh, with agents, because we do think that ultimately helps our consumer, who is really the the end uh, the end game here, right. uh, is um, in a market where in which we, we see prices falling, uh, it's important for us to have, if we can and if it's acceptable to our sellers to have uh, in contract information. So if if we are able to disclose to each other uh, that a property just went to contract at X price before it closes, you know we know there's a lag time, three months, four months sometimes. Uh, that kind of information is really valuable and can help it's, our sellers it's real time and our buyers uh, with valuation.
1: Uh, in other industries where individuals are independent contractors, actors, professional athletes, writers, organizations exist to protect their interests. However, in the world of residential real estate, specifically here in New York City, uh, there is no organization solely focused on the agent. So my first question is, what about Revni? So how are you guys working with Revni to, I guess, enhance what they've already started to do and make <clears> what you want to do even you know more profound out there? The agent is the one who says, we are the ones being neglected. Yes, we have a consumer interest, and yes, we want our consumers to to be as educated out there as possible, but the individual independent contractors or agents in this case say the same thing. Hey, guys, what about me? So what are we doing for the agent, or what can we do for the agent to better their experiences as they go through the transactions of real estate?
3: Absolutely. I mean, that is one of our top, top priorities, um, you know, listen, Rebny does a lot of things and they are a really fabulous organization. We have met with them, um, all of their leadership and sat down. And one of the, the things that they mentioned to us is that we were really able to grab the audience of transacting brokers that they want to reach. And so that they want to work with us, which is very positive. But when you look at the structure of Rebny, first of all, commercial and residential fall under the same umbrella. Okay, so they're doing a lot. And that means that the um, the issues for the agents and, and concerns, it really falls to the bottom of the list. And, um, you know, when you speak with agents, that's the number one thing that really just hits their hot buttons. So, um, you know, I think that's why we've been embraced so much, because the agent wants to feel like they have a voice. They feel very powerless right now, especially with what's going on with prop tech and outside technology companies. And they want to have a voice. And it really is, um, you know, so this is the opportunity. And one of our biggest goals here is getting agent representation at the highest decision-making level so that there is agent representation sitting in on the board meetings in which owner-operators are there and agents. Right now, it's owner-operators and REBNY. There is no agent representation there. Agents are on committees that report up to committees that report up. So that's really our primary goal, what we're looking for. Can I also just interject real quick,
6: um, guys, from the standpoint of if we take a look at even, I've been doing this for 30 years, and if you take a look at the transformation of me working off of three-ring three-ring binders for my listings to what we have today, and, you know, there's nothing in the REBNY manual that really deals with the transformation of teams and how our business is operating and how to protect the big guys who are the lead brokers and the little guys who earn their keep, if you will. I think that that's also part of that vo- that voice that is missing in REVNI.
1: We recently had leading uh, real estate companies of the world here uh, on the show. Are you guys working with Leading RE at all? Their big hot button is quality They're not going to get as granular as we all are here in New York City with what we or how we work. But overall, they look for companies that subscribe to their mantra of quality listings, quality data, uh, the right rules and regulations, et cetera, et cetera. So, are you guys at some point looking to work with leading RE or at least understand what it is? Because I think they work a lot with Rebny to understand what it is that we represent here in New York City as listing agents or as listing brokerage firms, et cetera?
2: Oh, well, we have, uh, I mean, not speaking directly to leading RE, we do have a number of sponsors and we're very excited that we've had uh, some very substantial sponsors uh, sign on for sponsorship roles with, that, with, yeah. with NIRAC. Uh leading RE is, you know, we're, we're open to discussing uh, with any reputable uh, organization that sponsors? supports our, our goals.
3: First Republic um, has signed on as our exclusive bank sponsor we have uh, Romer DeBoss as one of our attorneys. Um, Shevets, um, uh, Erlitz. Uh, yeah. Yes, it's early. Thank Andrew you. Loved An- loved Andrew and, and Alan, they're the best. We love them. Um, XL. Romer Debus is also the best, Heather. <laughs> <laughs> we Let's do have two attorney yes. sponsors. Yes.
1: Well, you're starting off in the right place. <laughs> Let's talk about membership. So we have a few minutes left in our segment. So how many members do you currently have? And more importantly, how do people become members of NIRAC if they if they see the value, want to participate and want to, you know, come on board? So how many members do you have currently right now and and how can someone say, all right, you know what this makes sense to me. This is something that I would like to participate in?
3: Um, so it's very simple. You can go online. there's an application online that you can submit um, to the board. And um, you know, I have to say, the, the response has been overwhelming. We are going to be making an announcement. Later in the week, so we are not going to reveal our numbers. You are not going to reveal today. We've got today. a big reveal um, coming. Um, yes, we have a reveal coming. But honestly, it's, you're not it's, running for president, are you? We're, no, uh, we're, uh, not, okay. we're not. We're not. Yet. It might be a good idea. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we build bridges, not walls. So, <laughs> just Cut had up. to ask. Sorry. Yeah, Go
3: ahead. but it's it's by far exceeded our expectations and what we forecasted at this point. So we're really excited about that. And um, and again, so you just go online, fill out the application, and then we'll be in touch.
1: Yeah, and as I read at the top of the show, there are criteria, which make total sense to me. And I, I, I guess over time, it gets opened up to you know almost everyone out there who participates in our industry. W- what, what do you want? To, we're we're going to end in a couple of seconds here. So w- how, what do you want our listening audience to really know um, about this organization from a practical standpoint as to why? You guys started this, why you guys are going to champion this right through to the end, whatever your end goal is. What is the, the operative maybe word here for the agent population out there who is listening and might say, you know what, this sounds like it's something that makes a lot of sense to me. I would like to participate. What is the final thought here?
3: I think really seeing, uh, seeing action um, and doing the right thing. I think it really boils down to that in many aspects. When you look at everything we're talking about, the bottom line is about doing the right
1: thing—ethical,
3: ethical, doing the right thing for the agent, doing the right thing for the consumer.
1: Going to extend just a little bit. So, tell me quickly about the ethical behavior of some of the agent population out there that we all just do not like. You know, on the show, we adapted this 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 slogan a couple of weeks ago: "Love your co-brokers." Okay. Love your co-brokers because if you can't get along with your fellow brokers and agents out there, you're not going to be successful yourself. So unethical behavior does not work in my world, and I'm sure it doesn't work in all of you very successful agents here. But from an organization perspective, how do you preach the unethical behavior is wrong mantra? Well, how do you fix that?
2: Well, we agree completely, Vince, that uh, you know, few bad apples have spoiled. Uh, the Assume. perception of our industry. So that is really what, one of the most important priorities of NIRAC is to dispel that notion. And one of the parameters for membership is uh, that you're regarded within our industry as an ethical uh, agent. And uh, if if someone joins on uh, and is becomes a member and is accepted as a member and we later learn that uh, there have been complaints about unethical behavior, we will have... Uh, we do have standards, and we will have uh, uh, a meeting, a sit down, and and someone can be expelled from the organization because uh, ethics and the perception of 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 agents as being value added uh, is really a priority for us.
1: Yeah, I mean, ethics is 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 important in in all of our brokerage firms that we work for, and I teach also real estate uh, classes on the continuing ed side. And you know, sometimes when this topic of ethics comes up, people look at me like. They're dumbfounded when I get into why you need to be an ethical broker, and I just, I, I, I can't. I don't even know how to wrap my head around that thinking coming from them. And I certainly know what my response always is, but I, I just think sometimes you must be kidding me. You know, this is, this is a, a professional business that we all engage in to make money and to solve, uh, you know, client problems and 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 make people happy. And you can't do this by being, you know, a naughty person. Anyway, we've got to go to break. Uh, we're live from Blast Productions here in New York City. This is Good Morning New York. Kathy Taub, Heather McDonough, Domi, thank you so much for being with us here. You're welcome to stay for the rest of the show. If not, we will have you back again in the next couple of months. Thank you so much.
3: Thank you. Thanks, Vince.
4: Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast.
0: All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Streaming live. The leader in internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll free in North America at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Now, back to the show. Okay, everybody, we are back. We're talking to the panel. Ari Harkoff is here
1: today from Halstead. Sean McPeak from Halstead. Nile Lundgren from Compass. Phil Horrigan from Freely and uh, LeaseBreak.com. Louise Phillips Forbes, the one and only from Halstead. And John Harrison today from Core. All right, so as I said at the top of the show, the first week of the year was a slow one for the Brooklyn marketplace. Only three contracts have been signed so far in 2019. So this is as of last Thursday when I wrote this. But the average contract price is up from last week's holiday slum. Contracts closed on two houses and one condominium for a total of $12.25 million, uh, according to the latest uh, report from Stribling and Associates. The average contract price is $4 up uh, from last week's average of $2.4 million. So my question is, so what's happening in, in, in Brooklyn these days? The golden child of New York City real estate for the past year and a half, two years, booming, zooming, beating all odds and beating the statistics of Manhattan numbers. What's going on, Mr. Harkov?
7: I mean, I think um, Brooklyn is not, uh, I mean, we're susceptible to the cold that the whole market is feeling right now. So I think you're seeing partly, um, uh, there are number of products online right now, a number of projects online right now. So you've got more to choose from as a buyer. Um, this time of year is also much slower for townhouse buyers who are typically more tied to the school calendar year. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're not as active at this time of year. But I think overall, the market is shifting everywhere, and Brooklyn is not immune to that. So we're feeling it in every market and every sub market. And, you know, you have now 1,200 brand new condos online in downtown Brooklyn alone between three projects. So as a buyer, you're more than 1,200. Is it 1,200? 1,200. Yeah, easily. But, but I live right there. They're all projects. outside my window. Three, no, yeah. that's what I'm
1: saying. In three projects, In three products, that's a you've lot
7: got, of performance. So you've got um, Adam America's doing about 180 units at 10 Nevins. Right. You've got Nextel yeah, um, right. doing about 475 units at um, Flatbush uh, at Brooklyn Point. Yeah. And then you've got Tishman doing about 480 units at uh, 11 White Street. So those three projects alone are about 1,200 units. But, but I, significant.
6: I was just going to say that, you know, the the evolution of the pricing that, you know, new frontiers, which obviously you're not Brooklyn is not new frontiers. But as you see, it pushes pushing further away from us to Carroll Gardens, to Queens, to Sunnyside. That's a natural evolution, not a, coupled with right. how millennials have been buying a bit differently, influencing our market. Where they had not influenced it previously.
1: We're going to talk about millennials in a second, but do you think that there are more millennials purchasing
8: out in, in the Brooklyn neighborhoods?
1: <coughs> there Absolutely, are. Absolutely. 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 Yeah.
8: And and the draw for them is what? I think I think it's the, It's yeah, it's a priority for them. I I mean I have clients who whose kids are pushing them to buy pietasters in Brooklyn because it's fun. Cool the clubs are out there, the coffee you know, shops, the exhibits, the parks. Absolutely. <laughs> Sean's
6: I'm, not out there. There. I'm not in but Brooklyn. Sean's I'm just
1: out there. there. But, yeah. but, he still but has he's not a, out there, but he <laughs> goes out there. I was
6: referring it. to the clubs. Yeah, yeah. It Every has night.
5: a novelty though. And like as Sean mentioned, all of these things are popping up. Some of the some of the best coffee shops you can go to, you know, like distilleries and breweries. I mean, all of these things that draw some type of novel idea exist in Brooklyn. A- absolutely.
7: In addition okay, but, to
6: things like Industry City, which you, which huge. is also an amazing magnet for kids. Right.
7: Yeah, it's changing a lot. I mean, I'll give like a funny anecdote. So we now have Brooklyn buyers who are selling in Brooklyn and are now looking to buy on the Upper East Side as a value play. And like, haha, that's funny. But no, it's actually happening. It is happening. You know, we're looking at, at like I had clients last night who emailed me on a four million dollar unit on Fifth Avenue, about one hundred and second Street, yeah. and they're going to sell in Williamsburg and potentially buy in the Upper East Side because it's basically an even lateral trade from a price per square foot that basis, does not but they me. end up on the Park in a great school zone. Maybe PS Six
1: PS Six, you don't get better than PS Six.
2: Maybe J Lo and A Rod should swap with Maggie and Peter. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I don't think they're house people. I think they want these. The, Let's hope Maggie and Peter spread. get
7: their price because I own the same house as them, so I want them to get that price. There you go. <laughs> All right,
1: here's so the talking deal. about... Here's a, the, the millennial question of the week. Keep your eyes peeled for avocado toast and rainbow grilled cheeses in Battery Park <laughs> City. our Parks feelings. In, in, in Battery Park City. The downtown neighborhood has experienced the largest... In- I like I, I like avocado toast. I, I had, had
8: some yesterday. It was Why are we awesome. sitting on avocado toast? <laughs> because <laughs> the, the avocado toast thing... Uh, became a thing because there was like a Zillow blog with post the millennials saying that millennials cannot afford to buy houses because they spent all their down payments on like avocado
1: toast. Yeah, and nothing in this town is cheap, including in Brooklyn. So it wasn't students. Like, avocado toast. All right. Well, anyway, so the increase, there an increase in millennial ownership in rentership in Battery Park City. Now, you know, not for anything, but this really this story kind of surprised me. The 10282 zip code, which includes parts of Battery Park City, saw a 54.5% increase in millennial residents over the past five years. According to a study released earlier this month, about 2,300 millennials call this zip code home.
9: Does that zip code include the financial district, too? Parts of of it? A little
1: piece of it, yes. Yeah, it's (laughs) just just right over. Correct. Yeah, just right over. The zip code also is the most expensive for renters nationwide. Wow. Okay, so just just a to, land lease. Just to con- just to confirm, you know, millenn- uh, millennials are born those born from 1982 to 2004. Okay, so what's in a neighborhood? We talk about these neighborhoods all the time. Why are they going to ba- Battery Park City? Uh, tell,
8: Certainly uh, not cheap. I have uh, I have a theory. Uh, there's mm-hmm. there's a few businesses that have opened or leased space down there that have been on a hiring spree from Uh Brookfield is one of them. Uh, Conde Nast yeah. is another one, and a lot of the banks down there, like uh, City American Express, have been hiring a lot of millennials, and that's walking distance all those offices.
1: It's, it's yeah, Well, if you will, but, they, but they've always said because in the beginning, when 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 the financial district was becoming, you know, the rage, and a lot of us here have been in the business long enough to remember when it was nothing but Wall Street and and you know financiers mm-hmm. and, and and offices. Now, you know, over through the years, it's become quite the place to live and so Battery Park has always been sort of like you know the the stepchild to that but all of a sudden i hear things about wow people want to live there and when i hear it's the highest you should know the highest rental neighborhood
9: in the nation i mean the prices prices well so since 911 uh, i think there's been a transformation of that neighborhood when i first started in the business correct, in 2004 correct. It was like the least cool place to live. I right. Mean, no one wanted to live there like I hated said. walking around after 4 o'clock. It was a, right. a desert. But it's – slow. I mean, slowly has become almost cool. I mean, people are like, yeah, Phi Dai. I live in Phi Dai, you know. Um,
6: but I mean, it I'm, also so doesn't so, shut down like it used to shut down. It used there, to shut down there, completely. The, it's an right. all-night. But I was going to say the rental prices
9: could be a little misleading. Because don't forget that those rentals have, like, three months free, two months Correct. free. five. Correct. Plus, Phil,
10: those are all shares, too. A lot of those buildings yes. allow shares uh, and walls so you can fit three uh, people share, in a one bedroom. very, very popular. So yes. that's why they can afford it. Yes. It's misleading. So it's of all that. Exactly. Misleading right
1: data. Isn't that something in our <laughs> industry? Come on, guys.
7: Fix this. Fix this. <laughs> and We're and it's a limited on it. product. You don't have walk-up tenement buildings in Battery Park. Exactly. So it's right. only high-rise luxury doorman buildings. So it's kind of, you know, a little bit misleading.
2: I right. think the reason is it's the best views of New Jersey. That's it. it yes.
5: But I mean, you have you have the lifestyle there. That <laughs> and a beautiful waterfront. waterfront in other locations, when you're by the waterfront, waterfront you typically have to like have a long distance to get to work. Here, you are right on an uh, incredibly beautiful waterfront. Right. You have the Esplanade. You have all of this kind of aquatic life surrounding you and a very short walk to work. And everything you need is right there. So why Aquatic not? Aquatic life. I like that. Thank you. Aquatic. Okay. We all have <laughs> seen, good, mo-
1: moving on, we all have seen with, oursel- with ourselves and with our customers where there was a certain euphoria that comes with moving to a new neighborhood, at least for many, Not, not certainly not all. A more recent move just four months ago was extra energizing for a couple and their son. They left their Upper West Side, storied Upper West Side apartment, and they moved to Hell's Kitchen, a place where it was sort of unfamiliar for them. But it's in the heart of Midtown West, right? Um, They say they could never, in a million years, have imagined that they would be so thrilled to live in this neighborhood, young child and all. And they say they felt euphoric every time they (laughs) spoke to somebody about why they moved there, telling their families. And I'm saying, not that I'm here to knock a neighborhood or or praise a neighborhood. It
6: is your neighborhood.
1: No, it's not. It's where I work, but it's not where I live on the Upper West Side. But it's kind of like what well, how do you you can't even compare. So what well, makes it so wonderful for a
9: family to go okay. from one to the so other? So it's actually funny. We did the exact opposite. We were in Hell's Kitchen. We had a, a right. we had a baby. <laughs> and then we moved up to the Upper West Side. But it does depend on where in Hell's Kitchen. So do you know where? Because I, I, it's such a diverse neighborhood. Are you talking about Eighth Avenue and 49th Street? Yeah, I, I know. I know it was the off 50s. of Eighth Avenue.
1: I think in the fifties. <laughs> I don't remember the exact address. Yeah, so somewhere f- in that that area. Yeah. But so, I, look, fifties are not bad. Vince. And,
2: and don't you think?
1: No, no, no. Look, I I sell a lot of real estate in, in, in Hell's <laughs> Kitchen in Midtown West. I'm not going to knock it. I don't knock it. I love the neighborhood. I don't think it's for me to live in, but I I like it. But When somebody goes as far as saying, I can't get over how thrilled we are as a family to be
6: living in this hood, it could be Battery Park City. But But I think that those are stories that we hear since the transformation of literally the boundaries evaporating with development, with the evolution of mm -hmm. markets becoming not… Pivot, you know, pivoted by a reputation. Like the Lower East Correct. Side used to be, like you know, all the dope fiends. Exactly. Not anymore. And before that, it was where the immigrant. Well. Yes. Maybe. But <laughs> yeah, you had a, the bottom line
1: you is had a, a lot yeah, yeah.
6: the the of side of your wallet and you're underwear. Is, you could, are, you yeah. couldn't do it. it there was are crazy. amazing buildings on battery. I mean on uh, on the Bowery. Oh, yeah, of of only the Salvation Beautiful. Army. Yeah. So that evolution of those boundaries disappearing have created options for people to experience New York in a very different way. And that is so exciting for us.
5: Yes. And if you have that as part of the narrative that you've anchored to a neighborhood and then you take the jump and you move there, of course there's some euphoria behind it it's a, it's something that's new it's like oh my gosh I'm moving to adventure. the location that I thought I'd never live in it's exactly. all about change it's all about change it's an adventure it's a whole bunch of things you
1: have got to take a break live from Blast talk Productions here in New York this is Good Morning New York we'll be right back after these
0: messages the internet's number one talk station number one talk station VoiceAmerica.com
4: It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast.
10: All the time. The number one
0: internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America. At one 472 5788 That's one 472 5788 Now, back to the show.
1: Okay, everybody, we are back. We're talking to Ari Harkoff from Halstead, Sean McPeak from Halstead, Niall Lundgren from Compass, Bill Horrigan from uh, freelyleasebreak.com, <clears throat> Louise phillips Forbes from Halstead, John Harrison from CORE, and our folks from uh, NIRAC are still here, Kathy Taub and Heather mcdonough So... Following last year's real estate market was like riding a roller coaster, as we all know and have complained about. The market started off strong in 2018 and then softened before finishing with a mild flurry. However, one thing that did not waver was New Yorkers' belief that owning a home makes sense from a financial perspective, and we all agree with that. Regardless of what the market is doing, if you own a piece of the rock, you're going to be a better off long-term. Bottom line- though there is some uncertainty as to how the real estate market will perform over the next 12 months. One thing remains certain, New Yorkers do believe in home ownership. Thoughts? Right on with that comment. Do we think that regardless of the those marketplace that, that this is still the right place? Yeah, I'd
5: say those that own certainly believe that. I mean, New York, well, New York City still has, you know two, I think, close to two-thirds of the people here are renting. four percent Oh, yeah, okay. That's a specific there. Um, uh, so it's a transient city, but when you do own, you realize, listen, what other city in the the U.S. has as much of a track record as as New York? Uh, and so if it's a long-term hold, then why wouldn't you want to own something here? I think the key That's is the long-term yeah.
7: hold piece, though. I mean, I think so. One of the things that we've right. seen with our clients in the last year or so… So they're paying much more attention to the monthly carrying costs than they ever were before. Part of it's tax reform related. Part of it's due to what's happening in the rental market in terms of concessions and landlord paid OPs and what have you. But buyers are paying a lot more attention to what am I paying on a monthly basis versus what could I pay to rent? And how long am I really going to hold this with the understanding that it's not a slam dunk anymore that I buy something and it's automatically going to sell at a profit? We have That's a number right. of people who are actually selling at very meaningful losses right now.
1: For those of you who sell larger family-sized apartments, is this some of the consideration that they go through? I, my kids are young. They're going to go to school. We're going to be here for at least 10 years.
8: Is this the right time to buy? People are trying to time the bottom of the market. I, I wow. really feel pretty strongly that it's, it's, it's basically here um, You know, with the interest rates the way they are and the amount of concessions that developers are
1: giving I believe that too, us. but I don't know that we're at the bottom of the market. Uh,
8: yeah,
0: sort of. Close.
1: Yeah.
6: Well, I, I also think that one of the mm-hmm. things that we, part of our job as agents is imperative that we educate, you know, it is the only asset that you have that is a user asset. And I think that, you know, if you look historically, I mean, I have a very significant book of business for 30 years and I have always um, acquired wealth through my real estate more over than my other investments.
1: That's the key, and and I think that's the whole story. You know, topic of the the reason behind the story is that if you're willing to invest, you're willing to stay in for the long term, uh, as you all suggest, you're going to make money. You know, if you're buying to flip today, I was a flipper for seven years back when flipping was a thing to do. I never lost a penny. I always made lots of money on every apartment I bought and sold and fixed and and flipped and whatever. Uh, and that's when I was running around working in corporate America. Dabbling in real estate. Maybe that's why I'm in this business today because I liked it so much. End of the day, you can't do that today.
3: But I also, go ahead. Sorry, sure. I mean, I think it truly is case by case because if you talk to a young family that is having their first child, maybe their second child, and there are plans, you know, they need to buy something or live somewhere, but they're going to need to upgrade or in another two to three years, they'll be able to afford to upgrade. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make sense for them to buy now. So, and I've told people, don't buy now, rent. And wait, I don't care if you're at the bottom of the market, the transaction costs are way too high to do it that
6: way. Interesting. And I, I think the call to action as we look at interest rates is important for us to really take a look at... Which have come down recently. What they? Yes, we had a nice recovery in the bond market, which, which all of those educated buyers that we, I'm dealing with today are pulling the trigger comfortably because they want to lock that rate before March. And... I will also say what's right, as you said, Heather, the first-time buyers, for some people, they want to be owners. They don't want to pay somebody else's mortgage. So, you know, buying now and paying maybe more money but locking the rate where those individuals are adults and aren't planning to make any changes, it's the right action. Also, if you're upgrading with a lot of equity in your home, buying back into the market might be a time to pause and wait and be patient, but li- but liquidate the asset. Correct. Worth
1: waiting for in New York City because markets always do turn. Phil Horrigan, on the rental side, same scenario? In terms of what? In terms of what people are looking to do? Good time to rent at the moment, or yeah. are we still in a fro- freezing great, kind of still moment? Still a great time to rent.
9: Um, I will say, though, that, like I think I mentioned this last week, there are some pockets of strength in the rental. It depends. We're also in the quiet season. You know, for, for traditionally, traditionally, I would say over the last, you know, probably hundred years in New York City, this is the time when it's a little slow, when when there isn't as much out there. Landlords have learned to try to have their leases come up in the summertime because that's where there's more demand. So on the plus side, you can get a better deal on a rental now. But on the negative side, if you're looking, there isn't as much out there because landlords have just learned to put their apartments on the market. In the summer.
1: All right. On the heels of that, apartments on the sales side are piling up and sales are slowing in the outer boroughs, as we talked about before. So, sellers are increasingly turning to creative inducements to uh, get buyers to sign on the dotted line. And that's on top of what is typically open to negotiation, like some fees, commission fees. Okay. Right now, a successful sale is one where everyone's a little bit uncomfortable. I think you said that in an article recently, Ari. Um, and if you're not negotiating uh, correctly, you know you're not going to make a successful purchase in this marketplace. So you, both sides have to feel a little uncomfortable. Buyer does, seller does, before you can make a great deal. Even the and agent feel good about it.
6: I'm Even sorry? the agent has to be a little uncomfortable because Absolutely. you're not going to
1: please. Absolutely,
6: you're not going to please
1: um, both sides. 100%. So, so explain that though. So w- w- what do we mean by being so uncomfortable
7: think, in the transaction? So if you think about it from a which seller- is emotional to begin with. Yes, yeah, so if you think about it from a seller's perspective, they're looking at transactions that happened recently in the building of the neighborhood and saying, I'm selling for less than what my neighbors got a year, two years, three years ago. So they're unhappy. And if you look at it from a buyer's perspective, they're looking at things and saying, I don't know if I'm timing the bottom of the market. It feels soft to me. I think things are going to get worse. Everyone all my friends are telling me it's going to get worse. So they're feeling like they're missing out on future upside. And then if you look at the agent's perspective, they're you know feeling like they're getting hit on their commission. They're, they're doing more open houses. They're doing more showings. The seller's beating them up. And so it's kind of like everyone's feeling sort of skittish. Whereas when you were in this upswing market from 13 to 15, the seller was just like over the moon because they're getting more money than they thought. The buyer felt great because the property was immediately worth more than what they paid. And the agent, you know, did two open houses, sold it above asking, you know, and then got three more listings in the building. So everyone felt <laughs> like a winner. Um, we're yeah. not in that market anymore.
6: How, however, that, that's not
7: feeling uncomfortable. How, for how, <laughs> yeah. to the however,
6: I will say that on the heels of what Kathy and Heather and uh, their mission is, is that the collaborativeness that we as industry individuals um, these are the times where we really do pull together, or those that are smart enough to do that. And I really think that these are opportunities where that transparency, communication, because when there's not a lot of business transacting, whatever data point and the and you know, for I am super generous with my information, and I'm always appreciative when someone when that's reciprocated. Mm-hmm. But if it's not, you can't help but remember that. Absolutely. So I love just,
1: your co-brokers. Yeah. Amen. So no, seriously. I mean that that's that's what you have to. You've got to be. You've got to be transparent. You've got to be flexible, and you've got to be Schedule open to whatever. It might
6: Absolutely. At the same time, etc.
1: How are open houses happen, going these days? I mean, we've got a, about thirty seconds left. Are we seeing lots more traffic coming on board with
5: open houses, or is it still
6: pretty certain flat? sectors lower than the end of last year, for sure? Twenty five
7: percent up from the end of last
5: quarter. I agree. In a lot of activity. Yeah, yeah I saw feel- some more, uh, much more activity on something uh, this last week versus A- the A- end A- of the year. Interesting Deal, deals, deals happening in deals January. Happening. Deals happening. And I will say in just January.
6: interestingly, people coming to open houses are less numbers, but 15 million, 10 million, they're coming and they are real buyers and focused.
1: Well, that's the difference, okay? Yeah, I agree with you, Louise. I think they're coming less, but they're more serious, they're more real, and they're going to be buying something at some point in their in their, you know, hopefully short-term search. All right, that's it for us. We're out of time. That's our show for today. Thanks to um, Kathy and thanks to Heather for joining us. Shoot for the moon, everyone. Even if you miss, you'll land among the stars. And the only person you should try to be better than is the person you were yesterday. Be kind to one another. For all of us at Voice America all around the world, thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time. Goodbye, everybody.
0: Thanks for tuning in this week.